When most people talk about knowing their ABCs, they're referencing the alphabet. But here at Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA, we're talking about the ABCs of behavior. Each week, we'll discuss a topic in the world of animal training and break down the science of behavior change. One of the great things about behavior and training is that it relates to animals of every kind. So whether you're training a lion or a tiger or a bear, oh my, or your pet at home, this podcast is for you. So without further ado, let's talk some training. Hello and welcome to Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA. Today we are talking about shaping with successive approximations with special guest Trisha Dees. This podcast is presented by the ABMA or the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, which is a not-for-profit organization with a membership comprised of animal care professionals and other individuals interested in enhancing animal care through training and enrichment. The ABMA continually strives to advance intentional and enlightened behavior management through operant conditioning to improve the lives and welfare of all animals. If you'd like to learn more or become a member of the ABMA, visit us at our website at theabma.org. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. I'm your host, Shane, and I am a current ABMA board member and self-proclaimed behavior nerd. For anyone joining us again on the podcast, thank you so much for coming back and continuing to talk about behavior with us. The goal of this podcast is to implement one of the goals of the ABMA, which is to continue the spread of knowledge and sharing throughout the animal care field. Each episode, we will break down one topic that involves the science of behavior change and animal training. We want to provide a resource for newer trainers to learn and for experienced trainers to be refreshed. Even though the content that you hear in this podcast reflects the views of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views of the ABMA or the board of directors, we think that the diversity of subjects and viewpoints represented by animal care professionals from around the world is one of the strengths of this organization. Some things you agree with and others may challenge your perceptions and ideas, but We encourage you to listen to all that you hear with an open mind because you might be surprised by what you learn. Last week, we started talking about the tools and techniques that we will use while training animals by diving into bridges, which come after behavior. So today, we're going to discuss one of the methods of training a novel behavior, things that come before it. And what we're going to be talking about today is shaping with successive approximations. And to help me talk about that, it's Trisha Dees. Thanks for joining me today, Trisha. Hi, Shane. Thanks for having me. I can never not count on Trisha not to come in with 110% energy. So I'm excited for that, (laughs) that energy you're bringing here to the podcast today. So Trisha and I know each other. We worked with each other for a short stint. We are both on the ABMA board. We just were the conference co-chairs for the 2023 ABMA and IMATA conference, which was a lot of fun to help plan that with Trisha and also Tracy on the ABMA board. So Trisha and I, we know each other, but can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your journey through the animal care and training field? I have never had a normal day or a normal job, I guess. I started volunteering at my local aquarium when I was in middle school and worked there as a keeper with rescue and rehab and then the otters when I was in high school and they would hire me as a swing keeper back for holidays. I worked at the local rescue and rehab facility when I was in college and also volunteered when I first started working full-time after I earned my degree from the Texas Tech University in zoology. 
you said college and I was like, oh my gosh, how did she not say Texas Tech University? She just said college. Is she going to bring it up? <laughs> well, I, I was going to give it two minutes before I brought up Texas Tech, but I guess now it's time. Um, so I do love my alma mater, but I do have a degree in zoology. And then I started working full time and have worked with pretty much every species besides of stock and primates, non-human primates, I should say, um, <laughs> mostly marine mammals, but lots of birds of prey, lots of animal ambassadors, um, and have had a, a great time doing that, creating enrichment, receiving grants to do new technology with underwater uh, iPads and all sorts of different software. I'm a graduate of Emerging Wildlife Conservation Leaders, which works with different organizations across the world, including zoos and aquariums to help create conservation leaders for the future. So it's kind of like teaching people business management when you're not working for a business. So we learned everything from time management to conflict resolution, to budget planning, yada, yada, yada. So that was a program I really proud to be a part of still. And um, in my spare time, I volunteer at our local SPCA. I currently work with dolphins and that's all I have to say about that. Trisha's being a little modest and she's making her intro really short, but a great, great resource to have here on the podcast. And like I said, always a fun time. Thanks, Shane. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how many times Texas Tech come out too. If this was like a YouTube, a YouTube on YouTube, we'd have like a tech, a little ticker every single time we said it. Oh, challenge accepted. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for telling everyone. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have to stop for a second. We make a template of what we want to talk about and I send it to our guests and Trisha made edits on this and I somehow missed this line that she wrote, but she literally wrote after her intro, quote, I will probably talk about Texas Tech this whole time. <laughs> I just saw that. That's amazing. Only the Sorry. few people that know me are going to find this humorous. But... Yes. And that's why, since I know Trisha and I know her love for Texas Tech, that's why I am like cracking up about it. That's awesome. Okay, I hope well, one person listening has their guns up. That's all I, that's all I can ask. <laughs> I'm sure there are. All right. Well, we'll see how much more we talk about that. But getting into today's episode, we kind of have two terms that we want to break down. The first being shaping, which is the process of reinforcing successive approximations of a desired behavior. Shaping is one of the techniques that we can use when training a novel behavior, so as we move forward in this episode, think about that when applying this concept to a new behavior that you have trained, you are training, or that you want to train. But to truly understand shaping, we also have to first discuss another term that was in the definition of shaping, and that is successive approximations, which are a sequence of responses that includes increasingly closer versions of the desired behavior, or another way to think about it is these are the small steps that move closer to that desired behavior that we are training. Ooh, Trisha, that was a lot of terminology. That may seem a little confusing. So can you describe this in a little bit of an easier way about how we can think about successive approximations? So when we talk about successive approximations, it's baby steps, right? 
it's getting closer and closer to the goal of what the overall topography of what behavior you want, right? So then when you put in the grander scheme of shaping, that's the process of reinforcing successive approximations of a desired behavior. So I think shaping is the broader term and successive approximations are where you're going to go in order to get the behavior you're trying to shape. Amazing. I think that's a really concise way to talk about that. I was always told that successive approximations are the rungs on the ladder. You keep going up the ladder to get to the top, if you think of that as the behavior. So I think that was a, a really nice way to help us think about that. We're gonna be talking about this more throughout the episode. So keep all of that in mind as we dive into more of this episode. And if there's any panting in this podcast, the dog that I'm sitting just jumped up and was right in the <laughs> microphone. So we'll see how good Zoom does at doing that. But my uh, second co-host today is the is uh, Soka, the, the dog that I'm sitting. So if you ever hear any dog noises, that's my co-host chiming in about this. This is going to be one of a couple of aha or light bulb moments I want to talk about. But I want to go back and, and first let people know that climbing the ladder is important, but don't get tripped up, pun intended, if you're not walking up one rung at a time. So don't think that you have to keep going and going and going. Behavior is so fluid. And sometimes you might have to take a step back depending on what you're doing, especially with like desensitization. So don't think that now you see that ladder analogy that has to always be walking up and up and up and up. That is very true. And I've never thought about that, which is a great way for learning. And I will no longer really use that as I think about it with teaching new people, because you're right, it is it is not the best analogy because you're going to be up and down, up and down, up then down. So, wow, there's a lot of up and downs. Well, in a perfect world, you are just climbing up and the animal understands everything. But, you know, our, our animals are, are living beings who don't speak our language. And so we're constantly trying to get them to give us information so that we can better understand and then therefore communicate what we're asking for them. So I, 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 I think it's a great analogy, Shane. I wasn't trying to <laughs> be like, man, that is not at all what I meant. I mean, but it's I, not my analogy. I, was, I just heard it before. <laughs> I read it in a book. Um, but I just don't want people to get frustrated. And I think a lot of people focus on the, I have to end with a positive. And I have to keep moving forward. And, and again, behavior is just so fluid that it's, it's an art and a science combined. And a, a waltz, I think you guys talked about that with Marnie, about kind of the idea of, of animal training. And it's a dialogue, too. So sometimes I can say something to Shane, and Shane can say something to me, and maybe I don't catch it the first time. I'm like, now that I'm processing, I'm like, wait, can we go back to that? So anyway, not to get off the tangent. No, I think this is amazing. I was literally about to say, this is what I love about this podcast is that we have this template, but we came up with something with this organic conversation. And this is the type of things that as trainers, we're talking about after sessions, as we're going into a session. And these are the type of conversations people are having and the learning they can have. So I, I love that this organically is coming up and especially talking about the 
our human brain has this desire to end on a positive note because we have a version of what success in that session might look like. And I think that's a really great example of sometimes like my favorite training quote, I've said it many times is always training is a study of one in one moment. One that, that moment, for whatever reason, the animal, their success level is lower down the ladder than what you were at before. And sometimes that's okay to give them that success that they're at, and then, you know, come back and think of a different plan for the next time we are going into that training session to get up to maybe where we were. So I love that you talked about that because I think it's so important, no matter how many times we talk about it, because we think about it in different ways every time. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Now that we have that understanding, that really great discussion to start out, let's call back to the definition of shaping, which is the process of reinforcing successive approximations of a desired behavior. So Trisha, can you give us example of shaping with successive approximations? Okay, so in my career, the biggest aha moment that I've had about what successive approximations mean is when we had to teach the sea lions to jump off a high tower. Now, historically, for the last however many years, the stage had a mid-level tower, so the animals would learn to jump off that. And then once they got confident with that, that behavior was heavily reinforced, we would move them up to the high tower. So they had a successive approximation of what it was like to literally leap off something. Once the set changed, the middle tower was gone. And so mm-hmm. the only way to teach the sea lions was to jump was a leap of faith. And well, I'll be if that was a bit of a challenge. So the we had four younger sea lions that were around three years age difference that needed to learn this behavior. The older sea lions that had been a part of that set had were experienced with it. And so we had to take these animals up there and and we tried everything that I could think of. We chunked a giant salmon off. We chunked the the adult sea lions would jump. We would, the humans would jump and all four of them responded differently. So one of them was maybe more primarily motivated, ended up jumping after the salmon um, several months and several approximations later. One of them jumped after the humans jumped and one of them eventually jumped after Salmon, humans, and trainers all jumped for months at a time. The fourth animal, who was a lower animal on in the social structure, which is also very important to know about your animal's individual propensities, was not having any of it. <laughs> and he he had no desire or inkling to to take that leap of faith. We actually built metal structures that were two feet tall, that we could do successive approximations to get him to that level. And I'd love to tell you that that worked, but in the end, the set changed before that sea lion ever jumped off the the tower. But to me, that was my lesson of, you can't just go jump because there's a lot of different things that happen into that. And you can call it gaining confidence. You can call it establishing a reinforcement history, but 
you just have to have those successive approximations to get an animal from the beginning of training to the end overall criteria of the desired behavior. I love that example, not only for successive approximations, but also talking about that every animal is different. You all had to come up with so many different approximations that each sea lion needed and they all had different paths to get to that. And I would love to see a video of humans jumping and then the sea lion just looking at them being like, you guys are crazy. Why are you jumping from all the way up here? I'm going to go back down and go into the water. <laughs> I think the, the better video that you'd want to see is when we chunk the salmon off and the sea lion figured out that they could just go down the ramp. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, get the salmon! <laughs> I love animals. They're just so <laughs> smart. They're just always thinking. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, we just ran through that awesome example of training behaviors using successive approximations. However, sometimes learned behaviors, and a lot of times throughout the history of the animal, learned behaviors can break down or learning can regress when training a new behavior. So, Trisha, can you explain the role of successive approximations when this happens? See before mentioned story, <laughs> because I think that I didn't realize how that ties in, but the, that's why those successive approximations are so important because you have those steps to go back to. So if we ask them to jump off the high tower and they don't jump, then we have the medium tower to help them gain that confidence. So if you're asking an animal to jump and they're not jumping as high, you have that target pole that you help shape that behavior with to remind them this is how high you need to jump. If you teach an animal to jump with their mom, they don't have those, those reminders, those approximations to go back to those prompts, whatever term you want to use in order to tell the animal, this is what's required to earn reinforcement. And I, one thing that I just, as we were talking about this, we're talking about sea lions, a lot of times animals that have vocalizations, most of the time those aren't trained with successive approximations because they are just offering it. We're using normally a lot of times capturing a technique that we're going to get into in the next five or so episodes that's on the docket to talk about later. But thinking about that, if a sea lion isn't vocalizing when we're offering that cue, that SD, we have no, nothing to go back on to have them learn how to do that. Where if you think about a different behavior with opening a mouth, if we use it, you know, training using targets, we can go back and bring the target poles back out to have them touch the top of their mouth and their bottom. So there's a lot of really cool examples on how important those can be inevitably when behavior will regress. And then we have to build, build that back up with them. That's the slippery slope with capturing. It's also very difficult to ask an and a sea lion to roar. Mm -hmm. Yep, <laughs> we're we're getting ahead. Of, we're giving a little bit of a tease for a couple of episodes coming up because we'll we'll talk about that and because capturing is a method that we can use and has its place in certain things. But getting back to today's episode with shaping, kind of switching gears to newer behaviors animals are learning. If an animal is learning a new behavior. We get to a point in the training where the animal isn't reaching the criteria for that next successive approximation because through shaping, we're constantly raising the criteria as they're learning a new behavior. What are some things that we should consider strategies 
we could do to help the animal move forward in their training onto that next approximation? I, I think the easiest answer for this or suggestion is where's the reinforcement, right? We've got the ABCs, reinforcement drives behavior. So what as trainers are we missing that are not increasing the frequency of that behavior? So that's the basic thing you can go back to, to any behavior that breaks down. But if it's not moving forward, you can think of that. You can also think, have I taken too big of a jump? So has abelia set in and it's too high of a requirement? So the animal's not even trying anymore. Where are you putting the reinforcement? You know, I always say so much can be fixed by answering that question. Something as simple as a couple of days ago, we're working an animal to go into one of the back pools and go through a channel. The dolphin can find that a little intimidating, a little aversive, especially if they don't know what's on the other side. And so they were bridging the animal when they would go through the channel and then they were reinforcing them at the side of the pool that they were comfortable in. So it was just put the fish in the channel. That's one of those aha ding moments. So are, are they learning anything that they could contradict what you're trying to accomplish? For example, two behaviors with a target pole, two behaviors with an SD that look really simple, that, that kind of thing that can be confusing for the animal. Is the animal in a physical state to do the behavior? If somebody asked me to run a marathon tomorrow, that at Abelia would set in and I'd go sit on the couch. So you have to make sure that the animal is physically capable of doing the end behavior that you're asking for. And what's your reinforcement history with the animal? If someone asked me to go do a marathon that I don't know, I'm not going to, to go and run the marathon. But if somebody I, I do know that I value that might be something worth putting that effort you know it's the deposit bank the withdraws and that you hear so many people talk about but if you think you can just walk up to an animal and ask them to exert a lot of energy and go through giant leaps in learning that you haven't had that proper reinforcement history with then you're setting both of you up for failure I love all of that. Like when I made this template and like I said, Trisha wrote notes, I was like, yes, this is some amazing things. And it, that really covers a lot of those questions that we're looking through when we do a functional assessment and we're looking at what we can change to help with that animal. So, oh, hi, my co-host is joining me. Good job. Uh, <laughs> cut that out. Anyways, <clears throat> just moving on. Before we move on, can you talk a little bit about what you mean by abulia? Because I had to actually look that up when I saw you wrote that in the template. Abulia is the inability of an animal to act on a stimulus to perform a behavior because the number of performances required for reinforcement is too high. So, for example, if you just ask a sea lion to jump 20 feet, it's too high. It's too big of an approximation in order for the animal to want to emit that behavior because they're smart and they know at that moment what their skills are. They are very smart, yes. Cool. All right, so as we are thinking about all those different things as we're training animals, 
We just had all that great information as we're training. So another kind of question to think about while we're actively training a behavior, something that a lot of people think about and ask is, should we reinforce the behavior for quote unquote effort for getting close to the newly defined criteria of the current successive approximation? Or should we take a step back to the previous successive approximation? What is the best way forward to help that animal in their learning? Remember, you're communicating with a, another organism that doesn't speak your language. So your body movements, your bridges have to be as clear as possible for the animal to understand. So there's no A for effort in training. It's too vague. It's too abstract for them to understand. The communication is just too foggy for the animals. You have to figure out what you are communicating to that animal. Be 100% solid on what you want that animal to do in order to receive a bridge, to receive the opportunity for reinforcement. If you are not setting the animal up correctly to earn that, then you as a trainer need to go back and see what you can better convey to the animal in order to help the animal succeed. But this is a bajillion years ago in my career, I had an eagle that we were training to sit on the glove. And so I thought, oh, well, I want her to sit on the glove, so I'm gonna feed her all her food sitting on the glove. And I'm at a small wildlife rescue center and I am, 19 training an eagle to sit on my glove by myself. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to feed all the food on the glove. And then once I'm done with when I have no more food, I'll ask her to get off the glove. I think we all see where this is going. <laughs> so my, she starts tensing up uh, after each session, um, you know, holding down further and further on the glove. And the last session I had with her, I asked her to go off and she tried to foot me and she managed to just miss the Eagle glove went just high enough to where she didn't get my actual arm. But in my 19 year old head, I was like, aha, ding. I think maybe I should leave a piece of food to reinforce her for coming off the glove. Um, and so that was something that I did as a trainer. That was my mistake in what I was communicating with her and managed to get the glove so reinforcing that she did not want to leave. So I, I think that those are all the things that you have to be cognizant about as a, as a trainer and what you're communicating to an organism that doesn't speak your language. I love that example for not only the training part of it, but also the part of showing that we are all learning and we all have these stories and we, the important part is learning from it to know the next time you were able to go in with a better plan, with better communication to help out that eagle. Yeah. And, and we're all learning, the animals and the trainers, like this is a two-way street. There, that is, that it is. Now, just really quickly, if we're, I just want to walk through a little bit of an example. So if we're having an, asking an animal to jump, to jump any animal. And previously they were jumping four and a half feet. And then we move it up to five feet. 
animal jumps within one inch of the target. This keeps happening. What would you suggest some people think about in this example of how you can use successive approximations to then move the, the behavior forward and help them learn to get to that new defined criteria? So we have defined it, right? The animal has to touch the pole. So in my opinion, it would be a mistake to reinforce them even if they're so close, because in the long run, that's not the clear communication that we're trying to have with our animals. So if the animal continues to fail, then we can go back and look at the aforementioned things. Basically, we probably weren't doing the proper reinforcement to where the animal didn't want to increase the frequency of that behavior, or perhaps they're physically tired and we've asked too many times for them to jump that high. So you have to take that step back and get the animal to touch the pole because that's the clearest communication that you can give to the animals to be able to say, this is what I am looking for to physically touch the pole versus so close. Yeah, and I wanted to bring that up because it's something that I learned earlier in, in my career. And one thing that was a light bulb aha moment for me was being told that if they're going within one inch and you're reinforcing it, you could teach the animal that the criteria is jump really close to the target pole, but you don't have to touch it. Yes. Like that's that exactly what Trisha just talked about. That's that foggy, unclear communication and dialogue on like, sometimes yes, you touch it. Sometimes no, you don't touch it. So I, that's why I wanted to go through that as a really good example that helped me a lot as I was thinking about successive approximations and training animals. But speaking of that, we are going to end today's episode talking about shaping and something else, another term that you'll hear with shaping, and that is the term free shaping. So Trisha, can you explain a little bit of what free shaping is and give us a comparison of free shaping to shaping with successive approximations that we just talked about? So free shaping can be a little tricky to define in all of our different worlds. There's the dog world, there's the dolphin world, there's the bird world, there's the human world. And so all of those behavior tools and, and groups seem to kind of define free shaping a little different. Based on what's defined by Ken Ramirez, passive trainer involvement without the use of prompts. So the animal is free, quote unquote, to emit a behavior and earn reinforcement. It's not those baby steps. It's not that approximation to get to something. Whereas capturing is getting an animal to do a specific vocal or jump. And instead of doing baby steps, you're just saying, go do this. And if you're right, I'm going to bridge you. I think again, why free shaping can be difficult, just like punishment is, is that punishment tells the animal what they did is wrong, right? But they have this whole repertoire of other things they can do to be correct. Whereas free shaping tells them in this moment what they did was correct, but it doesn't tell them where it's leading or what they need to do to earn reinforcement again. So it could be they keep 
hopping over and over again, if that's the behavior you want, then that's capturing. But if you're free shaping, I think it's more of the concepts training of teaching an animal to be creative, whether that be with doing different vocals or doing different jumps, doing different overall behaviors. My, my dog is a part of the creative canine study at Eckerd College. So he was taught the concept that the word create means you have to do something different in the, in the session. So however many times I say the word create, you have to do something different. And he bowed up to that really, really well. He, he, he understood that concept really quickly. And when he started using props, whether that was my mistake or that I inadvertently reinforced him, or he really did understand the concept, but he would use props, not just bring them to me, but he would hop on the couch or he would pull a drawer or he would get a pen and lay down on it. And so I think that that was kind of what you, you utilize free shaping for. And that is so cool because I've seen many different create, innovate all these different behaviors. And it is, I love it because it just shows how smart animals are and just all the unique creative things they can do, like laying down on a pen. That's amazing. And it, it, but it's so hard because it's concepts, right? And we're mm -hmm. still speaking this language that we don't understand. But I swear I saw the wheels turn. And he was like, I have to do something different with this thing. And to combine those two behaviors, to me and to the coders, showed that he understood the concept. Yeah, that's amazing. I'll, I'll say my favorite dog fact when we talk about communicating with animals that they see the dogs see the world differently, right? We all know they're intelligent, but if we can detect a cube of sugar and a cup of tea, a dog can detect a cube of sugar in an Olympic sized swimming pool. So the way that they see the world is just gotta be so much different because their senses are so much different. Wow. That is, that kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I, that did blow my mind. Like it's, so true. And I think that you can extrapolate that to so many different animals because yeah. their senses are so much more heightened than ours. And that's a unique thing I've never like put into words in my head that can help us as we are figuring out that communication with whatever species we're working with. Yeah. But knowing that species specific history is so important as well as knowing your individual animal's history. And that's going to help you as you're shaping behaviors. Wow, we just full circled that that last little tangent. Good job, us. Virtual high five through Zoom. Amazing. Well, that was a really great episode. And like I kind of said at the beginning and throughout the episode, what we're focusing on currently on the podcast is going through kind of these tools that we are using for training new behaviors. So we're going to be going through a lot of those different ways that we're training and the different tools that you can use. So stay tuned for all of those. But this episode is one of those core ones that we're going to take these concepts and then kind of pinpoint more specific things. So I'm excited. I was excited for this podcast to catch up with Tricia. And then also because 
I know this podcast is going to kind of explode all the different terms that we are going to be focusing on for the next couple of months. So get excited for all of that. And also get excited because it's now one of my favorite parts. It's our training tales. So Trisha, can you tell our guests a fun or interesting training story? I can and I shall. I, I've thought a lot about what would be a fun training story. And if you know, you know, the one of the best stories that I have is we trained the sea lions to go on golf carts. And that was for enrichment. We also did shows and, and things like that. But the main goal was for enrichment. And we got approval and it took a really long time with the veterinarians and the curators and everyone to sign off for us to take the animals to the water park that was attached to our park. And so they'd run it after it was closed for the season until all the chlorine burned off. And then our veterinarians would sign off and we could take the sea lions to the water park. How amazing of an enrichment is that, right? So our VP at the time, he said, fine, you just have to take them one at a time. I hope he's not listening to this. Or if he is, he's already saying, I told you so. So we said, fine. We were just so excited that we got the okay to do this. And we took them for a few years to the water park. Every year we had a couple days where we could take several sea lions one at a time to the water park. And they'd go in the kiddie pool, the lazy river, the kitty slides and just had a, a great time. The sea lions were always trained that they could go back on the golf cart and that meant that they were immediately going to go back to their, their home base. So they usually ran out of fun before we did and were ready to go back. We even had a sea lion, his favorite thing was to go down the lazy river the wrong way, <laughs> which is great. They had, we had wave pool, so they would ride in waves. It was just a really cool enrichment opportunity. And a few years later, our VP was out of town. And so one of our curators did not know the rule and thought it would be fun to take two of the sea lions at the same time. And it's at that point that we realized why the VP had that rule, because the sea lions decided that this was their new home now. And so we couldn't get one of the sea lions to get back on the golf cart. And we were there for at least three of us trainers were there at the water park, watching them 24 seven as they would just swim around in the wave pool and have the best time. And a couple of them, or a couple of times, one of the sea lions wanted, he hopped on the golf cart and we would start driving him away. And the other sea lion would just roar. And then he'd be like, I have to get off the golf cart. And so we'd get off the golf cart and <laughs> go back in the water. And so this went on for quite a few days. And, and then the, the VP came back and I'll never forget sitting on that beach. And he looked at us all and he goes, what did we learn? <laughs> 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 and I think the aha moment for me was to, if I don't understand why there's a rule, just the simple question of asking why. It never occurred to me that that would be something that they, the sea lions would consider. But the VP with his experience knew that. And so for him to put that rule in and for us to just kind of go, well, ah, go somewhere around, around that, um, I missed the opportunity to learn on, on where that rule came from and why. And 
we had some good times watching those sea lions for about five days before the the quote-unquote head honcho decided that he was ready to go back and then we he got on the golf cart we had to drive him back as fast as we could and run back because the other sea lion was ready to to go back and was going to start running down the road um, to get back That is amazing. And <laughs> only you could have this insane training story about sea lions in a water park, but then also throw in this like insane learning moment of remember, like all you have to do is professionally ask why <laughs> and you can learn things. Like don't hold things in, just ask why and you just can ask learn the why. and you can have the discussion. So that is awesome. Now, before we go, I do have to ask, Tresha, do you like what's the coolest SD you've ever trained? I'm just curious. I don't think I know the answer to this. Like, what's stimulus? I'm 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 trying to 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 tee you up for your. Oh. your oh, uh... Thanks for the softball, Shane. So I have had the privilege of working with multiple species across the country, and there are several species that do the guns up with different um, behaviors that they emit based on that. There's a cockatoo that pops her crest up when you give her the guns up. There's a beluga that does a nice long whistle when you do the guns up. Sea lion, when you do the guns up, he goes and leans against the wall and stands as if he looks like he's getting his guns up or flipper up. So wherever I go, there's there's a guns up involved. I had to reinforce you for not bringing up Texas Tech every single question. (laughs) So we reinforced you by being able to talk about your guns up. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. Yeah, I, I, it's okay. I know. I know. Now, before we completely end this episode, as I we mentioned, Trisha and I are in, heavily involved with the ABMA, and Trisha is currently the chair of our sponsorship committee. So can you let our listeners know a little bit about what that looks like? That's something that I never even thought about needing to be a part of the organization. And so can you kind of explain a little bit about the sponsorship committee? Sure. So ABMA is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we want to give our memberships the most resources that we can have available. We want to make things like the conferences, things like these podcasts, the podcast is free. We want to make sure that our conferences are as low cost as possible, and that requires sponsors. So if you're out there and you know of any company, business, organization that might want to be involved with supporting the ABMA in all of our endeavors, then please reach out. Yeah, and I know that every conference, there's a lot of organizations that relate to animal caregivers, and I always see people there getting merchandise, finding out all these new things. So it really can be beneficial for those companies that have a niche in our community. Yeah, the cool thing about ABMA is that we're all encompassing, right? So we're not just dolphin trainers. We're not just curators. We're everything involved with animals. We're everything from people who decide the nutrition to students, to professors, to park presidents, and, and every niche in between. We, we do a lot of animal lab people and professionals and the dog training world, the cat training world, the horse police dog training world, we do it all. So it's really a, a audience that 
hits pretty much every niche if you're involved with any sort of animal care, software, what have you. So if anyone has any questions about sponsorships through ABMA or have questions for you about today's episode or questions in general, how can people reach you, Tricia? The easiest way is to find me on social media. My um, tag is TTU. That stands for Texas Tech University, in case you didn't notice. Um, Tricia, T-R-I-C-I-A. You can also find my personal email down in the show notes. And I have to say that I had been emailing Tricia for no joke two years until I realized that her email was TTU for Texas Tech University. <laughs> I still remember the day when I went, oh my gosh, that's what that is. <laughs> I get it now. So amazing. There we go. We had to throw one more Texas Tech in there. Well, anyways, thank you so much for joining me once again today, Tricia. Shane, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And that concludes today's episode focusing on shaping with successive approximations. This, of course, just scratches the surface. So if you have any questions at all, please reach out on any of the ABMA social channels or by emailing abc at theabma.org. We love to hear from you. And this podcast is made for you. So please, if you have any questions or topics that you would like covered, please let us know. A special thank you once again to Trisha for joining us today, James McAleb for our theme song, Ayla on the Beat, sung by the ever-talented Ayla of the Sea Lion, all of our ABMA members, and to you for listening and joining in on the behavior conversation. If you aren't already a member, please consider joining the ABMA by visiting theabma.org as we all strive to better the lives of animals around the world. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and join us next week on Animal Behavior Conversations as we talk about the 10 Laws of Shaping. In the meantime, thanks for joining us and happy training. And we're talking and they and they were like, abuela, isn't that a grandma? And I was like, they're like, oh, she spelled it wrong. And I was like, oh, uh, no, that's not what I meant. So it's funny because initially I thought that you were um, like, you were going to tell a story about an animal named. I was like, there's some weird names out there with animals for sure. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs>